Welcome to episode 310 of Live Happy Now. As businesses open back up, studies show that many workers are anxious about going back to the workplace. So, to finish out National Stress Awareness Month, we decided to talk about it. I'm your host, Paula Phelps, and today we're talking with Darlene Marshall, a coach who combines her master's in applied positive psychology with fitness and personal training to create a well-rounded approach to well-being. She also hosts the Better Than Fine podcast, and she's here to talk about why going back to work is stressing us out and what we can do about it. Darlene, welcome to Live Happy Now. Thank you for having me, Paula. Well, I'm excited to talk to you because you are one of the only fitness professionals to have a master's degree in applied positive psychology as well. So before we start talking about anxiety, I personally want to know how that came about because that is such a great fit. Oh, thanks for asking. As many things are true of a fitness professional, it came out for selfish reasons. I was going through a major life transition myself. And one of my good friends seeing me start to struggle within myself for one of the first significant times in my 30s, suggested that I take this free online course out of Yale. It's called The Science of Wellbeing. It's with Lori Santos, who is this fantastic yeah. practitioner. She's adorable. And so I took Lori Santos's free course and the first book on the reading list, because the course worked great. I had a great experience. I read the first book on the reading list, which is Martin Seligman's book, Flourish. Uh... And in the book, he describes the master's in applied positive psychology program at the University of Pennsylvania. And he says that the number one criteria to get in is that you feel called to be there. And I still can remember, I actually still get chills talking about I'm having it right now. The, the chills of knowing that ran through my body that I was supposed to do that. I was called in that moment reading that sentence. And I then immediately had the self-defeating thought of, why would they take me? I'm just a trainer. And I didn't understand. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't understand then, Paula, that there is a, a great symbiosis between the science of well-being and the pursuit of this thing we call fitness. But I think the great opportunity that exists for all of us is that the fitness industry largely is pointed at, of course, all of us probably know, aesthetics and performance primarily, Mm -hmm. and not necessarily fitness for wellness and well-being. And so I've kind of nicely settled into this bridge gap of pulling positive psychology, which is a very heady discipline toward the body and pulling fitness toward well-being and sharing that message out in the world. So it's, it's been cool to live in the middle. That's a great space to live in. And I'm excited to see what you end up doing in the future as well, because as I was becoming familiar with what you're doing, it's like, why have we not thought of this sooner? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I can't take credit for being the first. There is, I'm the the first career personal trainer in the space, but there are other fitness professionals who have walked before me. Elaine O'Brien comes to mind. I feel fortunate to find a kinship with them. So it's, we're out there, we're trying. It's nice to see it start to catalyze, especially with everything that's been going on in the world right now, mm-hmm. with the challenges that we've all experienced in the last year. I feel that people are waking up to this idea that like, oh, how I look in the bathing suit is not as important as how I feel in my yeah. life. Yeah. And, and I, that, I think the awareness and the waking part is, is really what's going to making the difference. I would say so. And you know, that it kind of segues into what we wanted to talk about anyway, because this is Stress Awareness Month. But some people would argue that every month has been Stress Awareness Month for the last year. So what are some of the 
biggest things that you see people still getting stressed out about? Oh, geez. And I love that line that every month's been stress awareness month for the last 14 months. Kind of does feel that way. <laughs> you know, I, I always try to honor that we're in this big global and, and truly species level challenge, right? Humanity itself is being challenged, but that everyone's circumstances are quite individual. And so we've got people out there who are probably listening, who have been isolating by themselves, who have been working remotely, who are experiencing loneliness for the first acute time in their lives. And then we have others who are working from home while also being parents, caregivers to elderly people they love, homeschooling, remote learning, and and feel an overwhelm of stimulus of too many people around them all the time. I can't say that it's any one thing because it's global challenge, individual fit. What I think is happening right now is this juxtaposition of the expectation just a few even weeks, if not months ago, that we were going to have this profound relief of vaccines and then myself even personally getting vaccinated, but that it's not really that different the next day other than side effects that the world is still where we were. There's expectation versus reality. There's anticipation and uncertainty. And all of these things coming together make for an uncomfortable cocktail. And there's no real precedence for us to look at and say, okay, this is how I've dealt with this before. Because nobody has dealt with it before. And we're not really sure what the next steps are going to be. Mm. It makes me think of one of the coaching techniques to help someone in the moment build resilience. That even though you've never dealt with this before, right? Who could have dealt with this all? (laughs) It's likely that anyone listening would have dealt with significant challenge at some point. And you have survived 100% of the days you've lived or you wouldn't be hearing my voice. Um, So I'd ask that person to consider a time that they have overcome challenge that was new. And what skills, what talents and strengths they pulled on within themselves to meet that challenge, even when they thought they couldn't. And most people, when given the opportunity, can come up with something because you've made it this far. And that's a great thing to remember is I've made it this far. And maybe that's the only thing you need to be able to remember in that moment is I've made it this far. That's a great reminder. It brings to mind... You know, I think there's two sets of skills with kind of what we're talking about here. There's in the moment skills, which is what we were just talking about, right? That in the moment reaction to when you feel an acute stressor and acute anxiety. And then there's the larger, longer term, right? The more proactive systems. I think it's helpful for people to remember that when you're in the moment, yeah, you're in the moment skills matter. But then when you're, I like to think of it as like your calm, your like easy street moment. (laughs) that that's your chance to build the new skills. That's your chance to be proactive, to take the practices that, that build you up so that when the next wave hits, you're not knocked down so easily. Yeah, that's a really good way to frame it. And, you know, another thing that prompted my desire to have this conversation with you is an article that I read in the New York Times. And it was talking about how returning to work is actually creating a new form of stress for people. And, you know, it's interesting because people were disrupted and became anxious by the shift of having to work from home. And now a lot of people are really dreading going back to it. So what would you think is the the root of that anxiety and dread? Is it the work itself? Is it 
Is it another change or what is exactly causing people to be that disrupted by returning to their routine? I think I want to caveat this by saying this is what I've observed in my clients and the workshops that I teach, as opposed to, yeah, I think there's there's a lot of theories out there right now. So these are, are just mine. But I think that it's a combination. A year ago, we all experienced the acute discomfort of what it's like when you have a rapid change that you feel like you don't have any control over. And as human beings, we evolved to change gradually over time. If you think about it, like if your partner woke up tomorrow or your closest friend woke up tomorrow and they were a completely different person, how disruptive that would be to your whole lives to your children, to everyone that you interact with, if, if suddenly someone could flip a switch and be someone else. So we're not meant to have rapid change, mm-hmm. but we're now in a reality where that's happening. <laughs> and so it starts with just recognizing like that's acutely stressful to your being. And then what you're describing though, is the anticipatory experience of what might happen or what's it might be like going back to work and that that is another big stressful shift. And I think it's important to, to recognize that anxiety is the acute fear of when you don't know what's going to happen of uncertain future. And your body starts to marshal up the resources for a perceived threat, but the threat only really exists in your mind because you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what it's going to be like. Maybe you're going to love being back to, to the work environment. But your body is sensing stress, is stretching threat or danger and and upregulating itself as if you were going to go into fight or flight. And that is the acute experience of anxiety. And anybody who's ever had it knows (laughs) that it's not very fun (laughs) in the moment. So a lot of employers are really aware of the fact that this is going on. I think one great change that I've observed is that employers have become more people focused in the last year where they're thinking of what they need to do for their employees versus what the employees are doing for them. And so I know that a lot of employers are trying to be more aware and sensitive to how people might be feeling about coming back. So if someone is an employer or a manager, what are some things that they could do to help quell some of the feelings that workers might have about coming back? I agree with your sentiment 100%. I have observed directly in my own practice the way in which employers, larger corporate entities are really investing in the well-being of their workforce. And there's a lot more pause and thought being given also in priming management to help their management and leadership teams to identify burnout, to uh, help respond to burnout in their workforce, to create more flexibility. And I think that's that's a big, important element is to let your workforce know that they are allowed, I call it permission to be human. They have their permission to be a person in the middle of all of this. I think it's also really important to call a spade a spade, right? To recognize, hey, I, I know some of the teams might be feeling uncomfortable about this. We want you to know that you can bring it up, that we can talk about it, that there is flexibility and resources available. I think that's pretty huge. And I think the other really important thing, and and this is well represented in the research in burnout, there is an undertow within our society that burnout is something that happens to an individual. And here's a whole bunch of tools and tips and tricks that you can do to deal with burnout. But burnout is also cultural. A friend of mine, Andrew Soren, likes to say that you can't blame the cucumber for becoming a pickle when you soaked it in vinegar. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
great one, right? I love that. So if if your culture of the work environment is vinegar, your people are going to be pickles. <laughs> and taking the time and the resources to invest in in the culture of the team, in the wellness of the team, whether it's whether it's through workshops or meditations or taking breaks, encouraging them to go for walks. I mean, there's a bunch of great research on the value of just having a walking group for the lunch and and making sure your team knows to take their lunches, little things like that, that allow the moment of pause for humanity over productivity, because the productivity always follows when your team is not fried out. Yeah. And as we discussed, I think that leaders, as they saw people working from home, they saw that productivity wasn't diminished because people went and took a nap during the day or something (laughs) like that. I think they can approach it a little bit differently and maybe with more leniency and more awareness of this work-life balance that we all achieve does mean putting your life into the work. Like you, you need time for yourself and you need those breaks. I also want to own um, the research of Nick Marks over the last year has shown that for many people, they anticipated an increase, a a benefit, a boon to work-life balance because they didn't have to commute anymore. Mm -hmm. But research in the UK has shown that it actually got worse, that the absence of separation from home and work meant that everything started to mesh together. And we didn't see these separations of like work self and home self. And so for some people, going back to work is going to be a huh, sigh of relief moment because they'll be able to go back to where it was. And this has been more challenge for them. Right. Yeah. Because I do know that there are people who cannot shut it off. And mm-hmm. it's like, I'm just going to do one more project or one more task. And it, it ends up being all night again. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. There's a lot of benefit. And, you know, I've got a a woman I do some work with and she's in California. So her kids have been home. So they're all in this one big room. Her husband's working from home. She's working from home. It used to be just her office. Right. But so now it's like she and her husband are working there. And then there are four kids (laughs) in that room too. And she would welcome the opportunity to return to any workplace. It doesn't even have to be hers. (laughs) Just Just anyone's. Let me go someplace. But I think, I think we've already kind of hit this nail on the head, but I want to circle back to it is that the real, the real nugget, the crux at the middle of all of this is anxiety is based in uncertainty. And the problem with anxiety is that it pulls us out of the moment we're in. It robs us of the day we're already having. And so any meaningful solution skill, I don't even want to call it a solution because I think that it's, it's just an experience, right? But any meaningful skill that's going to help with anxiety is a thing that's going to anchor you back where you are, that's going to help to dissipate those unpleasant physical experiences and allow you to be in the life you're actually having instead of yanking you forward into what if, what if, what if. So what are some tools people can use? You know, it's not just right now, but as they return to the workplace and they're going to have those days, those moments where they do feel that anxiety with their entire body. So what are some of the things that they can incorporate maybe as a daily practice to kind of quell that? Yeah. Like we were saying before, there's the the reactive things, the things you do in the moment to help. And then there's the proactive things, the stuff that you make a part of your daily living to decrease the reactiveness. 
to drive home that idea that we often think of anxiety as a psychological thing, right? Oh, I'm having these thoughts and they're pulling me out of where I am. But there's also this huge physiological component because it's happening hormonally in your body. And then you have these physical sensations of what you'd respond if a bear was right there. Mm -hmm. And so some of the most effective practices to manage anxiety are actually physical practices. So getting good movement throughout the day. And that's, that can be structured exercise, but it doesn't have to be like, so often we talk about structured exercise, but it can be just physical activity. It can be going for walks, uh, especially walks outside time in nature has been shown to have a huge soothing effect on anxiety. So whether that means that you do regular cardiovascular exercise, the research shows that for managing anxiety in, in your life, right? Long-term proactive, you want to get 20 to 30 minutes of a moderate intensity effort. Now you can flip that. If we look at the reactive side, you're having anxiety right now, high intensity activity. So like swing a kettlebell, do some box jumps, jump rope, go run up a hill because you're already having those physical sensations of like being upregulated. You go make that intense effort and it uses up that energy. And then you feel the sense of release and come down. Obviously, you're not going to jump rope in the middle of the day at the office, um, but maybe walk a couple of flights of stairs. Um, and it's just something to get you huffing and puffing to get your heart rate up on its own so that the anxiety doesn't overwhelm you. I'm so glad uh, that you said that because I actually started and I've been working from home for years. So the pandemic did not change that much. But I had seen a tip of using doing the kettlebell swings. And mm -hmm. so I started keeping a kettlebell under my desk and I'll, I started making a practice just even like between tasks or something, get up and do 10 kettlebell swings. And just, it's a good little way to, you know, keep your heart going and, and also, yeah, to get you back in your body and, and keep things running smoothly. Well, I love that, Paula. And I also, I love that for you because it, it also is shown to increase productivity. <laughs> you yeah. finish a task, you do something physical, your next task, you're going to be better able to focus on because you took that little time out. And there's all these great neurological changes that happen that increase productivity. So you're nailing it with that one. So maybe all the employers should go get kettlebells. Amen. Return <laughs> welcome gifts for him. As a personal trader in me that supports that. I think another important set of tools, and I've been seeing this more and more out in the world, and it's so exciting and rewarding um, that people are talking about breath training and breath work, that breathing, we take it so for granted, but if you can learn to use it and harness it like a tool, you then have this whole wealth of options. So your listeners could, could Google box breathing or crocodile breathing, or if I may be so bold as to plug my own podcast. Please That'd do. Okay? <laughs> thank a, you. It's a great podcast. So please <laughs> oh, plug away. I host the podcast Better Than Fine. And I believe it's episode 23. I have Amanda Masters, who's this incredible yogic practitioner who lives at the Himalayan Institute in Pennsylvania. And we talk about the power of breath training. And there's a bonus to that episode where she leads a, a breath training exercise. So for somebody oh, who's nice. never done any breath work, that is actually the breath training that she leads is she's my, my teacher as well. And that is the breath training that I practice myself to manage my own COVID-related anxiety over the last year. That is a great tool. I know just working with your breath is so huge. I'm really glad that you brought that up because it, it makes such a difference. 
So you have, I, I know we have to let you go, but you have something going on in May. And oh, yes. Yeah. We, I want to talk about this because I think this is a perfect fit for what we're talking about. So take it away. Tell us about your challenge. Yeah. Well, inspired originally by this moment we were all feeling a year ago. If you were, if you put yourself uncomfortably back in those shoes, we'd had those rolling two-week lockdowns and this feeling of, is it all opening up? Is it what's happening right now? Last year, I started the Come What May Challenge. Whatever happened in May, that you can be proactive. You can choose to engage in behaviors because you can choose how you want to be. And so there's three personal actions that are evidence-based to decrease depression recurrence, reduce in-the-moment anxiety, and to boost your mood. And those three things are 30 minutes of moderate intensity movement every day. Meditation, specifically loving kindness meditation, where you practice wishing goodwill to others and to yourself, and a gratitude practice. And of course, I know everyone's talking about gratitude these days, but it's because it's so useful to practice the feeling of being thankful to something outside of yourself. It helps you, and it actually does make us more we call it pro social. It's essentially kindness, it's doing nice things for other people without expecting reward. Of course, here we are a year later where we never thought we'd be, where we still don't really know what's going to happen. And so we're doing the challenge again this year. So the Come What May Challenge 2021, there's 31 days in May, and it's a commitment to every day, meditation, movement, and gratitude to choose to be proactive about how we meet whatever happens. And so for anybody who's interested in joining the challenge, they can go to my website. It's darlene.coach slash come what may is the URL to sign up for the challenge. We've got a Facebook group. You'll get lots of freebies over, over the course of the month and a, and a good supportive group of people excited about it. That's fantastic. And we will put a link on our landing page for this podcast episode so they can get right to you and sign up for that challenge. So, so Darlene, so I, I appreciate you sitting down and talking with us today. And what is the one thing that you want people to remember about their anxiety as we let you go? I think for those who really struggle with anxiety, it's easy to get caught up where you are and then it starts to perpetuate in itself. And one of the most effective things that I've used in the past is to remember it's not always going to be this way, right? No matter how acute that experience is, it's not always going to be that way. Just like what we're going through right now, it's not always going to be this way. And that there's lots of resources and tools out there. People can help people who understand what it is you're going through and are ready to, to step up and be there for you, no matter what it is. Very well said. Darlene, thank you again for talking with me. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. That was Darlene Marshall talking about how to manage stress as we go back to work. If you'd like to learn more about Darlene, listen to her podcast, follow her on social media, or join her Come What May Challenge, visit us at livehappynow.com and follow the links. And if you want another way to lower your stress level, we invite you to check out our playlist of 10 songs scientifically proven to help you relax. Look for the Live Happy De-Stress playlist on Spotify or visit our website. And one last thing, with Mother's Day just around the corner, we have just the thing to make mom and your bank account happy. Through May 5th, we're offering 30% off all apparel in our Live Happy store and free shipping for orders over $45. Just visit us at store.livehappy.com and use the discount code HAPPYMOM. That is all we have time for today. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps 
reminding you to make every day a happy one. <music>